Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Cuidado, Bien. Chris Rowe, la combinación en Ketia. ¡Qué trastazo! ¡Sí, señor! ¡Lo has hecho tú, Emi! ¡Lo has hecho tú! ¡Qué zapatazo terrible! ¡Tres goles ganers! ¡Tres cañonazos! ¡De Eddie Killer en Ketia! is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly morning to you. It's got to be. Goodly morning, man. How you doing? I'm good. Uh, feeling the effects of the weekend a little bit, it has to be said. My voice is perhaps a touch croakier than normal, but uh, all very enjoyable, and I'm feeling okay this Monday morning. Bank holiday Monday morning here in Ireland as well, so... Yeah, you had a good weekend. You enjoyed your trip over? I certainly did. It was a, a flying visit, literally, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could get the boat, but it takes a lot longer. Um, but yes, it was it was very good to get over to see a game for the first time this season, to, uh, to meet up with people and see you and see uh, some chums and uh, watch Arsenal route Sheffield United 5-0. I know Elliot made this observation on, on the Arsenal Vision podcast uh, that he did yesterday, but we've watched three games together in our lives, myself and Elliot. Now, not literally together, but, you know, we've been at the same game three times. And each right. time, Arsenal have won 5-0. Extraordinary. Mm. Uh, either you're a lucky charm or you just really know how to pick them. Maybe a little from column A, a little from <laughs> column B, you know? It's a sort of dichotomy, isn't it? It's a bit of a conundrum. Would you rather, like, come over for Man City or Spurs, like a really high-intensity game where you're less guaranteed of a result or would you rather come and see us play Sheffield United where you know there's a decent chance Mm. you'll be able to celebrate a a healthy three points afterwards I mean I don't uh, you know have the luxury to pick and choose in that way sometimes it just depends on the um, on the timing of things the fact that this was like a 3pm on a Saturday is very handy because you know I can come over from Dublin on Saturday morning uh, you know, if I really wanted to, I could go home on Saturday night as well, but that's not much fun. So stay over Saturday night and go home Sunday. So that was really the 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 sort of reason why I picked this one, not so much because it was Sheffield United and I, I thought we would win. I mean, I've been to those games, been to United games, been to Spurs games before. So, um, yeah, I think there's something more special about beating, you know, Tottenham in the Derby or whatever it is. But... Uh, 
Yeah, this was nice. This was nice as well because you kind of knew that you were likely to see a win. I didn't think it would be quite what it turned out to be, certainly not in terms of the goal scorers and, uh, you know, the way the game played out. But, you know, either way, an Arsenal win is an Arsenal win. And I think the reality is that clearly the club need to make sure that myself and Elliot are at every home game between now and the end of the season. The goal difference would be off the charts at the end of the season. That's true. That's true. Or at the very least, a few more Saturday 3 p.m.s. Yeah. Wouldn't go amiss. They would not. They would not. Um, but yeah, 5-0. It's interesting, coming into the game, uh, you know, Sheffield United obviously had a pretty dismal Premier League record. Mm. Of, I think it was uh, eight defeats from nine, no wins. But, you know, the, the point made in their defence was, well, if you look at some of those defeats, narrow margins. Mm. You know, I think some big clubs had taken a long time to eventually beat them. I think United got a very, very late winner. Um, well, it was a different story at the Emirates Stadium. I think that's true. I think that's true. Although, you know, it was, I did text you at halftime and, uh, you know, it, it felt a bit strange the first half. I'm, I'm not sure if that was just me and maybe we can come on to that. But, but Mikel Arteta viewed it as an opportunity to rest some players or to give some playing time to players who've been a little bit on the fringes. So what what did you make of the team? I thought there might be a couple of changes. We talked about, will it be Eddie up front? Will it be Trossard? Maybe Kai Havertz will get the nod up front. But there was no Martin Odegaard. There was no Gabriel at the back. Um, you know, bringing in Smith-Rowe, starting Havertz, starting Eddie. Uh, Jakub Kivior got a start as well. So what did you make of the team pre-game? Were you in any way anxious about the the changes or did it strike you, look, this is the perfect game uh, to be able to do something like this and, and use your squad depth? I was a bit surprised, I have to say. Just knowing Arteta over the past few years, I, I thought he might make one or two changes less than he did. Mm. Um, but I think the fact that he did make those changes is probably indicative of something, you know, be that either a development, something he's learned in his time in management about the need to manage the squad across the course of the season, or I think even perhaps even more relevant, greater faith from him in the depth of options that he has available. Mm. Um, I found it really interesting as well that if you sort of read between the lines of his press conferences and his post-match interview, it sounds like as soon as Arsenal had beaten Sevilla, you know, that Thursday morning, I think they had the session in Spain that day uh, and came back in the afternoon. It sounds like he gave a big, uh, Wednesday morning, as it would have been, in fact, he gave a big kind of uh, sort of rabble-rousing speech about the importance of this game and how Arsenal couldn't take Sheffield United lightly. And he probably did that knowing that he was going to make changes, but mm. he couldn't allow the changes to seep into a kind of uh, casual approach from the team. He obviously looked at this and thought, we've had some really big games coming up. I want to change things. I want to switch things around, but I can't afford the team to take the foot off the gas because dropping any points in this game mm. would be hugely costly. Well, of course, and it's one of those where if you don't make changes... You know, people will say, when are you ever going to give these guys a rest? You know, you talk yeah. about wanting a big squad. When are you going to use your squad? And if you do make changes, you run the risk then of being accused of taking the opposition a bit too lightly or taking things mm -hmm. for granted, you know. But he was quite clear, I think, in his pregame 
press conference about how everybody had to be on their toes and everybody had to be ready for this and, and, and perform. So that was the team. I think Kivior in for Gabriel was probably the biggest surprise, right? Because, um, you know, he hasn't started a Premier League game so far this season. Gabriel is pretty much a, uh, you know, first name on the team sheet kind of player uh, after the the opening three games of this season were, were out of the way anyway. Um, yeah, that was a surprise. I, I was also a little bit surprised about the constitution of the midfield. Mm. You know, he had, he had Declan Rice in the holding role, but then Smith Rowe and Havertz in front of that was uh, a pretty untested combination. Mm. Um and I thought, you know, generally Arteta picks a very strong midfield. So for him to, you know, with Thomas Partey absent through injury, I know Odegaard had a bit of a problem, but to sit him down, give him a rest um, and not even have, say, Jorginho in there for a bit of seniority, I thought that was unusually adventurous from Arteta. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, I, you know, he, he's, he's got Declan Rice in there. As I said that to you pre-game and you said, well, he's got Declan Rice gluing it all together. And mm, I mean, that's very much how it turned out. It, it did. I mean, I was, it's the first time I've seen him in the flesh, you know, first time I've seen Declan Rice live and um, he is every bit as impressive as you think he's going to be. Mm. You know, that the reading of the game. And I think that kind of a player maybe makes it a little bit easier for Arteta to to start with Smith-Rowe and Havertz, who've never, I don't think, started a game before together anyway. And it is quite adventurous, quite attacking, at least on, on paper. Um, but Rice is just, I don't know how to describe him really. He's just sort of everywhere at all times, like Schrodinger's Rice. I don't know. Um, you know, wherever yeah. you wherever you think he needs to be, he's pretty much there you know, mopping up or, or just covering space and, and providing the structure, I think, that allowed us to play with the kind of control that we did. You know, do we have to say um, at the start of this, just to get it out of the way, that Sheffield United were were not very good? Um, rather than having to caveat everything as we go along and talk about the good things that we did, you know, I thought they were quite organized uh, and quite well disciplined um, for most of that first half. They didn't make it too easy for us. You know, it was... After the goal, I think that we started to create a few chances, but up until the goal, they'd done quite well in in keeping us at arm's length. Yeah, they had. I mean, their manager uh, in his post-game interviews was really down on their second half performance. I think he was really disappointed. He felt that they were sort of in the game, even if, to be honest, they never particularly threatened the Arsenal goal. Um, He felt that, you know, at least they were keeping the margins tight enough that they'd have a puncher's chance in the last 20 minutes or so. But in the second half, Arsenal upped the intensity and they just really struggled to live with it. I mean, they are a poor Premier League team. Mm. But as we said at the top, you know, they've pushed other Premier League teams much, much closer than this. So I do think we need to give Arsenal some credit, even if, as we'll come on to talking about now, I imagine, I think the, the first and second half were quite distinct. And, and I think... At, you know, it's it's strange to say after a 5-0 win, a goodly morning, all of that, and mm. a hat-trick hero. But it didn't quite have that feeling at halftime. No, it didn't. It felt very subdued at halftime. I think there's a, you know, a game like this, there's a measure of expectation, isn't there? That you, you're going to win and you're going to play well and you're going to score goals. And I'm not sure that that was necessarily the reality of the first half. The, the, the goal was obviously important and useful because I think you go in nil-nil it would have been even more maybe 
nervous is not quite the right word, but it would have been more subdued. Um, I think it was quite flat. Yeah, yes. I wouldn't say it was nervous. And, you mm. know, because as I say, Sheffield United didn't really offer anything. I may, I remember David Raya coming in, catching a couple of crosses, um, but that was it. But, I, you know, that same kind of, um, what's the word? complacency that that Mikel Arteta was was guarding against he was guarding against it for a reason because this game was in some respects a bit of a come down from some of the fixtures we've had of late big big games um and I felt that was kind of shared maybe across the players and the crowd mm. to, to an extent and it's sort of inevitable um what you're looking for really in, in a situation like that is the players to find ways to light it up and I think yeah, particularly when it came to the goals, Arsenal really did do that. Yeah, I mean, they had two shots, no shots on target. I think Arsenal's control is, is uh, you know, evident in the pass success completion that we had for the entire game, 91% pass mm-hmm. completion. I think, you know, we were so secure and so in control, but also, you know, there was a lot to be desired, I think, from Sheffield United's performance. Like, if their manager is unhappy about the way that they played in the second half, there was just no aggression, no fight, really. There was no... They just didn't put us under any kind of pressure when we were in possession. And Yeah, you know, I remember... This was actually in the first half, but I don't know if you noticed this, but there was a moment where David Raya, I think it was, rolled the ball to William Saliba in his own penalty box. Hmm. And he just sort of started carrying the ball. And he was like, well, eventually he's going to pass it. And he just carried it and carried it. And not even at sort of sprinting speed. He, he sort of walked the ball mm. from his own penalty area to the – I think he went to the halfway line without any pressure from a Sheffield United player. And I just thought, well, that is kind of this game encapsulated. You know, Arsenal aren't having to play at great intensity because Sheffield United aren't really offering much resistance. No. Not at all. There was a there was a really funny moment in the second half, late in the second half, and it was probably three or four nil at that point. But they played a ball sort of over the top down uh, their left hand side. I think it was Cameron Archer who had a look, saw that it was William Saliba, and you know normally a, a forward, even if it is three or four nil, you know will put the defender under pressure because you know maybe there's the off chance something might happen. And he started to go, had a look, saw it was William Saliba, and then just said, fuck it. I just, <laughs> you know, he, he literally you could see him just go, ah, no. Well, what's the point? Well, what? maybe it's the same with the carrying the ball. Maybe they're like, what's the point in pressing him? You know, we know how good he is, how yeah. adept he is. Um, he's reaching that level where players are taking a look at seeing who it is in possession or seeing who it is challenging for the ball and ducking out. Yeah. Um, but he didn't need to be at his best on this day to be very, very, very comfortable. Um, but nevertheless, you know, you've got to go and get the job done. Mm-hmm. And one of the selections Arteta made was Eddie. You know, there's a bit of pre-match debate, I'm sure, in all the pubs about who might start up top with mm-hmm. Gabriel Jesus out. I think there was a decent shout for, for Trossard. I think there was a shout for Kai Havertz. Um, Eddie came in and... it it looked like he had your blog from Wednesday morning pinned up on the dressing room wall, Andrew. (laughs) 
there are some people uh, I did notice some people on on Twitter uh, and maybe in the Discord as well saying <laughs> that I went in two footed on Eddie this week and you know is this him uh, getting a bit back? I mean, look, uh, it was just an observation. I'm calling you in the crowd. Yeah. I, I thought. Yeah, celebration. That was him. He was pointing at me. He was going, "I'm burying you here, fucker." Um, look, it was an observation on you know uh, a single performance. Um, but I did say, you know, pre-game, I was talking to talking to people in the pub, and when the the uh, the teams were read out, that you know it would be great for for him to get a goal. You know, he could really use a goal because, you know, he started I think eight games in the Premier League. You know, he started a lot of uh, games and has only got two goals this season, and actually only two goals in his previous twenty six appearances. You know, over the course of this yeah. season and last season. So, you know, strikers. They can do a lot, but ultimately they get judged by their goals. So I was hoping, you know, that he would be able to to get off the mark and get a goal, maybe two, you know, uh, and make a, a solid contribution. I mean, this is something we've touched on a little bit before, and maybe there's evidence of this in this performance. Again, Sheffield United, blah, blah, blah. But I, you know, I think... Mikel Arteta sees something in Eddie and Kedia that not too many other people do. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I think he believes or must believe there is like a some untapped potential that we haven't always been able to see. There are games where he plays well. There are games where he scores goals. You know, maybe before we touch on, you know, the, the, the chronological uh, look back at the goals, is the third goal perhaps some evidence of that theory that I have about Arteta and, and Eddie and Kedia because one of the things you hear people say is, well, we know what Eddie can do. We know where he's good. We know the kinds of goals he scores. And then he does that. Mm. Like we've never seen him do that before. I was talking to Tim Stillman afterwards and he, he sort of made the point that he thinks it was the kind of goal that he only scores because he scored the other two, you know, the kind of hit he takes on because he's on a hat trick and he's feeling confident and, and all the rest of it. But it is a sort of a new string to Eddie and Kedia's bow, if you like. Yeah, I, I have to say my reaction is the same as Tim's. I, I think he only even takes that shot on probably with two goals under his belt. You know, I've watched Eddie a lot and it's not been something that's been a feature of his game. He did say afterwards that he's been working on his long range shooting and training. Right. So I guess, you know, we've got to give him some credit there. Arteta clearly really believes in this player. I mean, it, it's almost difficult to find another player he has been as effusive in his praise of mm. during his time as Arsenal manager. Um, I think a lot of that is down to Eddie's attitude. Anyone who's encountered Eddie Nketiah will tell you his mindset and his application um, and his degree of focus are second to none. You know, I think people think he's really mentally strong. Um and obviously, that's a key component for any top-level footballer. But Arteta afterwards said it. He said, he's top. To me, he is top, top level. Um, and I think you're right. I don't think many fans assess Eddie in that way. Arteta does see a lot more than us. He sees him every day on the training ground. It might well be that you kind of suggest he's banging in goals like that third one every single day at London Colney. <laughs> I, 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 somehow, I somehow doubt it, but he must see components there and this is a guy who was on the training pitch every day with Sergio Aguero you know he knows about 
top level strikers. You know, he brought Gabriel Jesus to the club. Um, he knows what's required uh, to be an elite forward. And he seems to see that in Eddie. It's it's fascinating, isn't it? Because I think that's just not a view that's widely shared. Mm. Uh, I would say among Arsenal fans and among the kind of football population more generally. Um, but he's starting to get bits of recognition. Obviously, he's had his England call-up. He's had his first England cap. This is a big moment for him. I still, to sort of contextualise it, think this was just sort of the right game for Eddie. Like it was it was a good game for him, a game where mm -hmm. Arsenal were going to have lots of possession, they were going to have lots of territory, and it might have just come down to that half yard in the box. Who can create that space to get a shot off? And I think that really is is his exceptional skill set. And when he's in form and playing well, I think that's the part of his game where he's really strong. For all the talk of he's improved his work rate, he's improved his general game, he's improved his hold-up play. For all of that, the thing he has that separates him from your average striker is I, I do think it's that capacity to find space and get shot, shots off in the 18-yard box. He hasn't actually done that especially well over the last 12 months or so, as his goal-scoring record illustrates. So I'm hoping that this can be a moment where he turns a corner a bit with that. Yeah, maybe it unlocks something in him or, or uh, you know, gives him confidence or, you know, maybe changes the kind of service that he gets or, or the positions that he mm. takes up in, in certain games. But I think you're right. This is this was the, the sort of perfect fixture for him, a team that, you know, we're going to sit deep, try and defend, try and deny a space and scraps in the box could easily uh, be the thing that, that gets you the goals as it turned out. I mean, I really enjoyed the touch and the finish for the first goal. Yeah. But I think it's a really, it's really bad defending from Sheffield United, not just in the way that Declan Rice has all the time in the world to, to play a pass in, which I think was sort of, sort of speculative pass more than, you know, pinpoint uh, incisiveness or incision, if you like. Mm -hmm. But Austin Trusty, formerly of this parish, not good, not good at all in this game and really poor, I think, for that first goal in particular. He just, I don't know what he th thought he was doing, but, you know, to, to give Eddie credit, the touch and the finish and the anticipation and the strength, to, you know, to hold off uh, the defender were, were really, really good. Yeah, I mean, they've got a lot of injuries mm -hmm. at the back, Sheffield United, and, <laughs> you know, they broke one of the... Football's unwritten rules, right? They played a left-footed centre-half in Austin Trusty as the right-sided centre-back. Mm. Um, and actually, I think that probably contributes to this moment. If you look at the way that Trusty's sort of facing up the ball and he sort of seems to get caught almost on the turn, not to make excuses for the former Arsenal man, but I, I don't think it helped him playing in that channel at all. Mm. And it, yeah, he, he, it's one of those that in real time, bear in mind I was at the other end of the pitch, I thought, what a goal that is from Eddie. What a touch and yep. a really nice composed finish. And as soon as I saw the replay, I was like, well, this is also diabolical. To yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was a, it's a good five million we got for that guy. 
Um, yeah, based on this performance. Certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it wasn't good at all. And I'm just trying to think. I mean, there were a couple of other moments, weren't there? There was a chance for Smith Rowe, which was headed away. Yes. Um, sort of bounced down into the ground. I don't think he caught it particularly well. Gabriel Martinelli had a shot, which the keeper saved towards the end of the, the first half. He took a very heavy kick uh, pretty early on, if I remember, uh, in this game. And I don't quite understand how that guy got away without a booking until the point that he did. Mm -hmm. He made about three or four of those challenges before he went into the book. And twice he left Martinelli on the ground. Um, I presume kicks to the back of his ankle or Achilles or whatever it was. He seemed to really feel it both times. I thought the on-field referees were quite uh, lenient to Sheffield United. I mean, they didn't give the penalty for a start. Mm. Um, I almost, in the second half, you did have that slight feeling of, is there a bit of pity creeping into the officiating? I thought that too, actually. Some, yeah. Uh, it, bit it, of it generosity. That way. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting in the first half was just the kind of rotating of positions that was going on. I mean, that Martinelli shot that was saved at the near post was quite a good example, where I think Emil Smith-Rowe um, was popping up in sort of the wide channel. Bakai Saka swapped over to the left-hand side a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I think in an in an attempt to kind of break down Sheffield United's shapes, our forward players were granted quite a lot of freedom and rotation. And I thought that was just kind of interesting. You know, I, I thought it was more apparent in this game than we than we sometimes see from an Arsenal side. Yeah, I mean, to what extent do you think that was because of the the opposition or the team that he picked? Like, if you have that yeah. front you know, um, sorry, front three, I was going to say, but the midfield two of Havertz and Smith-Rowe, both of whom can play, you know, could switch them in terms of the sides they were on in midfield, but also in wide positions, that they are capable of operating in those areas as well. So it might have been something deliberate in that sense. I think so. I think that was partly by design. You know, those are all players who are kind of comfortable swapping with each other. You know, even Gabriel Martinelli was popping up in central areas here and there. Um so that was probably quite deliberate from an Arsenal perspective. And yeah, I think made us a, a little bit harder for Sheffield United to live with. But as we say, at half time, it was a touch flat. And mm. I don't think it was any great anxiety. Um, but, the, you know, there was certainly an acceptance that performance had other gears to go to. And I think in the second half, we found them. Yes. And there's a relatively early goal, wasn't it, in the second half, maybe four Very or five early, minutes yeah. in? Yeah. Um, again, good finish from Eddie. Good positioning in the box. Good anticipation. You know, hit it well, top corner. But the goalkeeper was, um, yeah, was poor, wasn't he? Yeah. I, I, VAR tried to find a way to kind of dig him out of the hole that he got himself in. But um, it's a big goalkeeping error. And a nice take from Eddie. Um, but it was a gift. Really. What did, I mean, we... In the ground, you know, we were waiting for play to restart and then it became apparent there must have been, you know, some kind of VAR check going on. Yeah. They don't, and I'm not saying this is Arsenal's fault, it's probably more to do with the officiating and and how those decisions are communicated, but it took a long time for the crowd in the stadium to be officially told that there was a VAR check going on. It flashed up like VAR, something. And then probably within 10 seconds, the the goal had been awarded. But we were standing there for quite a while waiting for 
for play to restart without that communication. You know, another example of of VAR, um, you know, a, a process that could perhaps be a bit streamlined or more streamlined for fans inside the stadium. Totally. I mean, you know, it, it, it's the area where fans suffer most probably is the lack of communication. Um, I mean, I, you know, we're all smart enough to sort of figure it out for ourselves, but the clarity of saying, you know, there is a VAR check ongoing. In theory, I think mm. the board is supposed to say what they're checking as well, you know, potential handball or whatever it might be. Um, so that kind of clarity would be useful. It's a, it's a pain in the arse, to be honest with you. And yes. This, this felt like an unnecessarily... I don't know who the VAR was, whether it was West Fodderingham's dad or something, but he was really trying to <laughs> find a reason to disallow that goal. Um, but there wasn't one. And, no. and look, it was poor defending from Trusty on the first and poor defending from the goalkeeper on the second. But Eddie, you know, that is what you want from him, mm-hmm. right? To be the guy who is alive to those moments to capitalise on those mistakes. Um, and in fairness to him... He was, and and then I suppose you know that second goal opens the floodgates, and confidence is an amazing thing. I mean, what a goal it was from Eddie for the third. Yeah, it was uh, uh, Smith Rowe, I think, with the with the pass to him, and yeah. uh, I mean, he just he knew where he was. You know, there was no um, there was no sort of having a look and picking a spot or anything like that. I think he just knew exactly where he was on the pitch. And decided to welly it as hard as he fucking can, and you know, and maybe describing it in fairly crude terms, but you know that's basically what happened. A really, really brilliant hit into the top corner. You know, he doesn't score goals like that. We've never seen him score a goal like that before. And for him to seal his first Premier League hat trick with that kind of a with that kind of a finish. You know, to to demonstrate that there is more to his game than we previously had thought, you know, is a, a brilliant moment for him. Totally. And, you know, maybe he's aware. I saw a lot of people, it wasn't just you, who said, I didn't think he applied himself right as when he came on against Sevilla. And, you know, he, he's a young guy. He's probably got access to social media. He's probably aware of some of the discourse. I think this was a big game for him. And it's a big season too, because let's not forget, we're coming off a summer where Arsenal effectively chose to keep him over Flo Balogun. Mm. Right? They, they sold somebody in Flo Balogun who is clearly a, a striker of, of some potential. Uh, it's another indicator of Arteta's faith in Eddie, um, as well as the fact that Flo wanted to go. But, you know, it, it, that's going to be, that's going to sort of hang over Eddie for the next year or so, probably, that kind of decision that the club made. Um, and we're without Gabriel Jesus. We're all hoping it's not for too long, but, you know, Seemingly, he is having problems staying fit for long periods. So we're going to need this guy. And Mm. this was a really, really good day for him. Uh, I think on a personal level, it it meant a lot to him, obviously, to get his first Premier League hatchery. I think he dedicated it to memory of his aunt as well. Mm. So obviously, you know, had some personal significance to him too. But yeah, I love this goal. You know, great stuff. I mean, it's just... It's a dream, really, isn't it? To score your hat-trick goal yeah. in front of your home fans from 25 yards, belt it in the top corner. Oof. It's perfect. Yeah, who doesn't love a screamer into the top corner as well, you know? And this yeah. is one where, you know, the first goal, you can say, nice touch, good finish, defending bad. Second goal, 
poor goalkeeping. You know, he, he wasn't strong enough and Eddie's there uh, to anticipate that and you know, took it away very nicely. But there's nothing other than this just being a pure, pure brilliant goal by, you know, uh, a player who I think was infused with confidence by the previous two that he'd scored. You know, so there's no caveat to this one whatsoever. It's just a brilliant, brilliant goal, a brilliant finish. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think confidence, almost maybe more so in forward positions rather than any other, is just this kind of magic alchemical thing. You know, I remember Emmanuel Adbayor when he started getting on a good run and started suddenly smashing in volleys into the top corner. (laughs) And it was a guy who a couple of years earlier at Portsmouth, we'd seen him miss two open goals from six yards. And you're like, how is this happening? But (laughs) Arsene Wenger always spoke about it very eloquently that, you know, he always talked about players having this sort of force inside them that that begins to kind of shine out when they're feeling confident and happy. And he did so much work trying to keep players in that space. And it was just great to see Eddie in the zone, you know, mm. in flow and just having the time of his life out there. So really enjoyed it. And I, to be honest, I think he I think he really fancied a fourth. You know, when that penalty was awarded, he held on to that ball for quite a long time. I did, yeah, I mean, he did talk about that. I watched Match of the Day in the airport <laughs> yesterday when I was coming home. And, uh, you know, he did talk about that. About Yeah, because they asked him, you know, only two players in history have scored four goals for Arsenal in a Premier League game. Um, Thierry Henry Thierry and Andre Arshavin. You could have been the third. And he was like, yeah, I did sort of think about it. But, you know, Fabio, he won the penalty and he's just had a little one. So it's, you know, I gave it to him. It's all about being a, a team player. Uh, but I was a little bit surprised that he that he handed the ball over, to be honest. Um, he must have it was really already his it. day, yeah. I guess. Yeah. You know, and- I, you know, I did wonder as well if, if he might get taken off. Mm. You know, just to give him the the sort of the moment where the fans would rise and, you know, give him all the applause. But, um, you know, uh, I'm sure he enjoyed it. Uh, I'm sure he enjoyed it all the same. I mean, there was a moment, wasn't there, before uh, before the penalty, there was a, another check, I think. Uh, I don't think that was a penalty, to be honest. No, that was Eddie, wasn't it? Yeah, um, and Trusty again, I think. Um, yeah, I think he was looking for it. Yes, Let's that's <laughs> diplomatic. Yes, yes. Uh, but uh, but uh, to be fair as well, I think it's probably worth mentioning that as, I think it was almost as soon as the ball hit the top corner from Eddie, Arteta started making changes. You know, he he, he called guys over. Mm. Um, I forget who was the first set off the bench. It was Tommy Asu and Trossard, wasn't it, for White and Martinelli? So yeah. not only did he rotate from the start. But he also protected players once the result was sort of beyond any doubt. Yeah, for sure. You know, and then it was well, Reese Nelson and Vieira on for for Saka and Smith Rowe. What did you make of What did you make of Smith Rowe? Um, uh, not a great deal, personally. I, I didn't. Re- I thought he. I was quite surprised he got the nod, but he seems to have gone up in Mikel Arteta's selection hierarchy. I think in recent weeks, you know, he mm-hmm. came off the bench at Chelsea. Um, he started this one but I, I couldn't draw too many conclusions personally what about you? I thought he was sort of in comparison to some others I suppose maybe a little bit quiet Yeah, but I liked you know the the fact he put himself about a bit 
you know? Right. Which, again, is a bit crude or whatever. But he won a couple of good headers, you know, used his physicality well. Because you kind of forget sometimes how big Smith Rowe is. I know you don't perceive him as that kind of guy, but he's like same uh, height and size basically as Ben White, you know. He's six yeah. foot, you know, he's a big guy. Um, did get an assist. Obviously, the, the, the assist for Eddie's third was, you know, much more much more about the finish. Um, it's not like he laid it on a plate for him, but it goes down as an assist. And I think it was perhaps maybe a quieter game than he would have liked, but solid enough that you could hope he could take a, a little bit of confidence from it and, and uh, you know, a step forward next time he's, uh, next time he's used. Yeah, well, that could be very soon. You know, there's a, a Carabao game against West Ham on Wednesday night. Mm. You'd have to think he's the sort of player who might look at that and think uh, it could be another start for me. I, I will say it was nice to hear uh, the Saka and Smith-Rowe song mm-hmm. make uh, a, a long-awaited return to the Emirates Stadium. That was obviously the song not too long ago. Um, but hearing it in the North Bank, I suddenly realised oh, it's been a little while, actually. Yeah. Um, Speaking of Ben White, <laughs> you must have been on your feet for that volley uh, oh, in the second half. My goodness, I was kind of behind it, if you like, so I could see him shaping. <laughs> my goodness, what a hit. I'm disgusted at that goalkeeper for stopping it. Yeah, I know, right? Um, it was a beautiful moment. Mm. Re- amazing technique on it, to be honest. Yeah. Really controlled effort and would have been a great goal but uh, yeah I thought of you I, th- I thought it, you might end up on the pitch if that one had gone in so probably for the best that you saved it. probably probably it was a really good hit and uh, you know there were chances and I think we could have scored more goals in this game we got the five um, lovely moment for Takahiro Tomiyasu to score his first Arsenal goal because he too had a chance actually yeah, maybe a few minutes before, and I think he got caught in two minds as to whether he was going to like hit it with his uh, instep or whether he was going to put his laces through it, and he just kind of scuttled it out for um, a goal kick. And you're going, oh god, that would have been amazing! Like Eddie with a hat trick and Tommy Asu getting an Arsenal goal. I'm, I'm here for all of that. And then, as it turns out, he did get one. Um, his first Arsenal goal again, one of those where it sort of broke from a corner. He was in the right place and just tucked it home. Oh yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a really nice uh, moment, and you know the players were obviously really chuffed uh, for him. I was actually slightly surprised it was his first Arsenal goal. I, you know, he's been with us for a little while now, and mm. gets in some decent advanced positions. So uh, I've forgotten that, but it was a nice finish. Eddie would have been pleased with that. Yeah, yeah. Know, inside the penalty box, quick reactions, and really just set the seal on things. I mean, five nils about as emphatic as it comes in the Premier League. So. Yeah, a really good afternoon's work mm. for Arsenal and some rest for some important players. Mm-hmm. You know, Martin Odegaard sat it out entirely, which I think is good. Um, and I think just crucial to keep some of those squad players connected. I mean, even Mohamed Elneny got on at the end, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, I mean, we didn't talk about the penalty. Um, we talked about Eddie giving it to Vieira and he took it away and stuck the ball up his um, shirt. And But what, I mean, the... The VAR check seemed extremely long, and then the referee went to have a look and seemed to take ages. He took ages and ages to make his mind up over that one. What did you? I mean, having I presume you've seen it back. Um, but what what did you make of the decision? Do you understand why it took him that long? Um, I think it must have been about where the foul took place. 
only because mm. it was sort of right on the edge of the box and maybe they didn't have the conclusive angle. Um, but as is always the case, you know, by the time they call the referee over, it's 99% going to be awarded. It's just a question of how long it takes to persuade him. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, I, you know, it, it was clearly a foul. Um, I think the debate was over where it is. I think it was a slightly strange one where I think maybe I'd have to see it again, but I think maybe the ball was sort of outside the box or traveling out of the box, but the foul was just inside. So uh, I, I would think that was the holdup. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, the ball ended up going into the box and he sort of tr- uh, trod on Vieira, the back of Vieira's mm. uh, ankle. I mean, it's definitely a foul. Um, yeah. And it's definitely, you know, on the line. And um, yeah, penalty. So that, and then there was what ten minutes of added time, which seemed a little bit. Nobody needed that. The Arsenal fans didn't need that, and Sheffield United for certain didn't need that. I actually thought they said two when they announced (laughs) it, and and then the board went up with ten, and I was like, "What the the fuck?" Um, Yeah, we're still doing that added time thing, I guess. Well, I mean, there was obviously the the couple of VAR checks, you know, for two of the goals, and then the penalty and all the rest. So, yeah, yeah, and yeah, five yeah. subs by both managers. Both managers made five changes, I think. Uh, goal I celebrations. Mean, four four goals rest. alone will add on a couple of minutes, you'd think, mm-hmm. celebrating and that. So, yeah, no, it made sense, but I just thought, yeah, um, yeah. a bit unnecessary. Bit unnecessary, but listen, it got us our Tomiyasu goal, so no complaints. No complaints at all, and I don't think you can complain too much about a a five nil win, and you know that ability to rest players, and maybe c- continue to rest them for midweek. We'll maybe talk about the West Ham game uh, in part two, but uh, yeah, a successful day, and I think you know we have discussed and and maybe. Uh, at length, the way that Mikel Arteta tends to be faithful to the players he knows 100% can do the business for him. Mm. He did change things up in a, I'm going to say significant, but like in a in a fairly big way in this game. I mean, do you think that might then see him produce this kind of lineup a little bit more often? For games like this, like if you are playing a Sheffield United, a Luton, uh, a Burnley, with all due respect to those teams, like if you can't rotate your squad or your team for those games, then these guys are never going to get a chance beyond like cup cup ties and stuff. Yeah, I, I think I think that's absolutely right. I think he will, and it, it's all about the congestion and where these fixtures fall. You know. Um, we're in a period of the season where it's a game every few days. And if you look at the next fortnight, we go to West Ham, then we get to Newcastle at the weekend. Then we've got Sevilla at home in the Champions League. And the game after that, uh, on the 11th of November, is Burnley at home. Mm. And, uh, you know, yes, I think that's the last game before a little bit of a break. But I I can see rotation happening for that because... Again, you've got big games around it that your your top players are going to play, and you don't want to take risks. So, and and you make a good point about keeping players feeling like they have a chance, feeling like they have an opportunity. I think if you don't do that, mm. it's quite bad for squad harmony. Um, yeah, so, yeah. I'm, I think I think it was actually a bit of a departure for Arteta to rotate as much as he did and a bit of a learning moment for him. And I, I think he will do more of that moving forward. 
Can I, I, we've talked about William Saliba and, you know, I don't really think we need to uh, use up all our superlatives because just how good he is and everyone can see that. But it was interesting, you know, I was watching Jakub Kivior quite closely because, you know, the selection was a bit unusual. I was impressed by him, I have to say. I think he is a very smart defender. Uh, he didn't really have a great deal to do in this game because Sheffield United were, you know, no threat really, but he still ended up making five clearances in this game. Mm. So he read the game well. There were a couple of moments where he mopped it up very nicely. And I think on the ball, he's a he's a very technically good player as well. And I think it's useful, obviously, to have that kind of depth at centre half, but again, useful to be able to use a player in a game like this that... If something does happen to Gabrielle, or uh, I think it was Clive saying afterwards in the pub that like Gabrielle had played two games, you know, on international duty for Brazil. He'd played full 90 in both of those games, played Chelsea, played against Sevilla, you know, managing minutes um, is easier when you do have a player like Kivior to be able to come in. Yeah, I thought he did well. I think... He was maybe the guy who was most at risk of becoming disconnected from the squad, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of how much we were seeing him. Um, He played a fair amount in preseason, but since it got competitive, hasn't had much of a look in. And I thought his use of the ball was really good. That was my main observation. Mm. Like he's clearly a good passer, Um, maybe a more natural passer than Gabriel uh, in that slot. Um, I think there are days where he'll be much more tested defensively. And that's sort of the side of his game that I would be more intrigued to see sort of how he fares uh, under the cosh, as it were. Mm -hmm. But I I liked the technical side of his game. And uh, I was pleased to see him a little bit more integrated because, you know, he arrived in January. He's not had a ton of opportunities. He had a couple of difficult moments in the Premier League last season when he was pressed into action uh, and in Europe. So, yeah, I, I think it's a bit of a a long-term project, his kind of ongoing development. and But we need to keep him here, probably. You know, we need to keep him around. A player who's playing as infrequently as him, ordinarily you'd think, well, you might let them go on loan. But I just don't see that happening, mm. because if Gabriel were to go down, there's a very decent chance he'd be required and he'd be relied upon. So it's important to keep him as sharp as possible. Sure. Uh, and... Uh, I thought this was a an ideal game for a young centre-half who's learning about life in England, trying to integrate in the team and the country. I thought it was sort of spot on. For yeah, me. yeah. thought he did really well. And, uh, you know, a lot of encouragement for a lot of players uh, and for the team as well to to win that game the way we did. Um, you know, it's good for the goal difference too because, you know, that might be a thing as this season goes on. Right. Let's take a little break here. We will come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog, also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. One bad thing happened this weekend, James, though. Go on. I forgot about my fantasy football team. Oh, no. And every Friday, I transfer out as many players as I can, (laughs) replacing them with injured players or players who are suspended and cannot play. However, this time I forgot and I gained 17 points in game week 10. No. No. Now I'm only on minus 430. And my overall rank has climbed. I'm now 10,156,138th in the world. Don't worry. It's a long, it's a marathon, not a sprint, Andrew. Yeah. Speaking of marathon, there was a Dublin marathon yesterday. Came back into town, went to the pub, met a couple of guys who had just finished. They were sitting down having a pint of Guinness. They were Arsenal fans. We were chatting about the game. So that was nice. Hmm. Um, Right. I have full faith in you that you will lead your fantasy team to the bottom. (laughs) It's mad, though, that there are still, I don't know, 50,000 people worse than me who are obviously making a concerted effort to finish as low down as possible. It is a race to the bottom. Now I feel like, what's the point? I just leave this team with Carl Hein in goal. A ghost ship. Yeah. Poor old Carl Hein. No one talks about Carl Hein, do they? I thought this was strange, actually, because I texted you before the game, because I got into the ground at about 20, with about 25 minutes to go, there or thereabouts. And I was looking at the, the warm-up and seeing who was doing what, and there was no David Raya at all mm. in the warm-up. Like, Ramsdale was out there, Carl Hine was out there, I could see, you know... Um, I think it was Saliba and Kivior doing some long passing drills and the rest of them were doing their their rondos and all that kind of stuff. But there was no David Raya. That was a bit odd. I was wondering, like, oh, has he got injured or is there something happened to him? But there he was when the teams came out. Yeah, apparently he goes in quite early. I mean, it's not super unusual for a goalkeeper to go in earlier than everyone else. Aaron Ramsdale used to do that. You know, he, he would sort of do his drills and then head in and I don't know what they do. I mean, maybe it's just takes them forever to put their gloves on, um, <laughs> get in the right headspace, let's say. Maybe. But I think Raya goes in earlier still um, and, and meditates or whatever he needs to do before 3 p.m. We could have That's just it. spent that time meditating throughout the 90 minutes because he didn't really have anything to do. That is true. It was sort of a perfect game for him, wasn't it? I mean, he. I think he needed an event-free mm. game. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably why Arteta stuck with him for this one. Um, you know, he rotated in a lot of areas, but but not a goalkeeper. And I think it will have been because he wanted Ryan to just come through a game mm. cleanly. And 
he did, you know, a couple of nice takes crosses, a couple of nice passes out, but very, very little to do on the goalkeeping front. All right, let's get into the questions. Anthony Bergelin or Bergelin, who's at Tony Burgo on Twitter, says, what's your predicted lineup for West Ham? EFL Cup game on Wednesday evening, ahead, of course, of a trip to Newcastle on Saturday evening. So how distinct do you think this team will be from the one that's going to face Newcastle? Oh, very, very, I would say. Mm. I'd say it'd be closer to the kind of team that played Brentford um, in the last round. Aaron Ramsdale will play in goal, mm-hmm. I'm fairly sure. Uh, at the back, I think Gabriel might play, having sat out uh, the mm-hmm. Sheffield United game. I think Saliba won't play. So... I mean, he played Tommy Asu at Brentford. He played Tommy Asu at centre half at Brentford. Yeah, he could do that. I think he because he played Kivior um, as a left back against Brentford. See, I wonder if he might play Zinchenko against West Ham. And the only reason I say that is that I I don't yes, think I know Zinchenko what will say. play at St James's Park. <laughs> yeah, I think. If there's ever a Tommy Asu at left back game, it is it is Newcastle away, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, I've just said I've spoken about the unwritten rule about left footed centre halves on the right, but I could see something like Zinchenko, Gabriel, uh, Kivior, who I think has played on the right for us before as a centre half. He did, yeah, last season. Um, and then maybe maybe Tommy Asu. Right. Yeah, could have a start. Certainly. Uh, I mean, Cedric is alive. The camera's cut to him after Eddie's hat trick goal. He was oh, up really? In a box with Gabriel Jesus. Yeah. So he is alive, but I, I, yeah, I don't know if I quite see him starting. I, th- I think he'll go a little bit stronger than that. What would be your midfield? I presume Jorginho? it's going to be Jorginho. I think there's a chance it's Jorginho. Uh, Smith Roviera? Something like that. Yeah. Is it a bit small for a team like West Ham who've got some big guys in there? Or do you trust the technicality? I think you could go Jorginho um, Vieira Havertz, potentially. Um, I mean, up top. That will inform it. I guess Reese Nelson's going to play. Yeah, Trossard. Trossard, who could play as a nine as well. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if he'll. I wonder if he'll go with Eddie again. It really depends what's really going on with Gabriel Jesus, doesn't it? Yeah. Like it, if Gabriel Jesus is actually a bad one, then I guess you've got to protect Eddie after Saturday. But I just don't know. I don't know what's happening with Jesus. Because obviously after the game, he seemed very relaxed about it and said he thought he was fine. Then afterwards, he has this scan. Arteta's worried about it, but he won't put a deadline on it because you never know with Gabby. You know, there's a small part of me that thinks, are we going to see Gabriel Jesus at St. James's Park? Um, And I've got no idea. Yeah. What do you think about the, the front line for West Ham? And- I mean, I think it'll be Nelson, Trossard, and somebody else. 
whether he gives you know a, a chance to a young player maybe to come in like he did in the previous round. Mm-hmm. We'll have to wait and see. I would be a little bit surprised, but you know maybe you can do a midfield of Jorginho, Smithrow, and Vieira and play Havertz up front. Yeah, with you with can do Trussard that. and Nelson in the in the wide areas. You can do that if you're worried about the physical side. You have got Mohamed El Neni fit as mm-hmm. well to to bolster the midfield potentially. Um, do you think any sort of bigger names will play? Like, do you think there's any chance that he drops Odegaard in, for example? I mean, there's always a chance with Mikel Arteta because you know he he picks teams on his own merits and very rarely. You know, disgracefully, it has to be said, takes into account what we as fans think, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he it kinda, is a disgrace, I concur. It's, yeah, it's shocking. Shameful. But, yeah. It's absolutely shameful. <laughs> but, you know, there is a chance, of course. But I think if he, you know, kept him out of the weekend game and said that, you know, he's been having a bit of a problem, uh, which I have to assume is connected to the, the tackle by Kovacic in the Man City game, then I would be inclined to to keep him on the bench for this one. Like maybe you you give him some minutes if you really need him, you know, in the second half. But with Newcastle coming up and that game being that game being one where you need everybody as fit as possible because you're going to have to do a lot of running, you know, when you play Newcastle. And he is the guy who leads our press and probably. Um, I don't know about the stats, but, you know, uh, has more sprints than anybody else because of the way he, he presses and gets back into position and presses again. I would be inclined to to keep him on the bench. Yeah, so would I. I mean, there was this question from Pete Pete McKay on the, uh, on the, on the Twitter. The and Pete Twitter. said, who cares about the Milk Cup game this week? How pissed will you be if Mikel plays a full-strength team? We really need rest for a few obvious guys, e.g. Saliba, Saka. I don't think he will play a full-strength team. I think there's almost no chance of that. Mm. But I do care. I do care. I know that a lot of people don't care about this competition at all, but I think it's really important for the depth of the squad to be able to sort of afford these players' games and keep them feeling connected and involved. Mm. And also, I I do think it is a trophy. Like, I, you know, well, it is, it is. It is factually a trophy. <laughs> and I think Arteta, if he was to get to some kind of semi-final stage, he would go to win it, you know. For sure. And, um, I, yeah, I feel like I'm one of the few... I, I, would really, I'd like, I would really like to see us win the League Cup at some point. I think... Yes, it doesn't matter to other fans, but it's a day out of Wembley. It's a big silver cup. Uh, I trust. Trust me. If it happens, we'd enjoy it. Oh, for sure, for sure. But you know, you 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 can also understand why you know it's low down the list of priorities and and all the rest of it. But of you know, again, this is one of those where I think, as fans, we think one way about specific games or specific competitions, that isn't necessarily the way that managers and, and players yeah. think about them. Disgracefully. Disgracefully. You know, they have their own opinions and they... Their you know, agenda. 
I'm sick of it. Their agenda of trying to win all the football matches. Yeah. These guys need to go. Look, obviously, look, it's not the Premier League. It's not the Champions League. Um, it's not even the FA Cup. Mm. What I would say about the FA Cup is the FA Cup's a bit of a ball ache because the games come, um, you know, if you go deep in the FA Cup, it comes right at the run-in to all the other competitions. And that's really hard. The good thing about the League Cup is it comes largely in this period of the season where you're like, well, you know, the mm. pressure's not really on. And um, I think we'll rotate really heavily. But I think we'll put out an 11 that's got a, got a chance at West Ham. A lot will depend how seriously they take it as well. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a strong enough team. I'm just looking at the one that you know played against uh, against Brentford, and it's a pretty strong team. Even if we did have the uh, debut for Charles Sago Jr., whether there's a young player involved or not, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. So, uh, okay, yeah. we'll look over to you. I think is it your question? It could well be. Um, be. We had a couple of questions that were. Uh, about the team at the top of the Premier League table. So Michael, no, who's no. at Real Michael, Andrew, we, no, have, to, we no. have to reference it. No. Uh, <laughs> Michael said, at Real Michael Mike, he said, I'm hoping the Arsenal and Spurs unbeaten run lasts as long as possible. Do you guys think it will add some extra fuel to our title charge? And then he said, obviously, I also hope Spurs blink first. That that I think that man needs some help. <laughs> Why on earth would you want that that unbeaten run to go on as long as possible? Why would anyone want that? I don't understand. Yes. I just I'm sorry, no offense, but I just I can't I can't even begin to understand how it's possible to think that or want that because I want them to lose like tomorrow and then the every games. day yeah. for the rest of their lives. And I, you know, I, I would prefer them to be irrelevant. Uh, and I prefer not to talk about them at all, actually, if at all possible. So that's as much as I have to say on the matter. Yeah. I'm with you. Controversially, I would not <laughs> like their unbeaten run to extend as long as possible. <laughs> I'd like it to end uh, mm. immediately and start a new run, uh, an unwinning run that lasts until the end of time. Mm. I'm That's I'm on board wish. with that. Yep, I'm on board with that. Uh, yeah, this was on Pete uh, McKay, uh, at Pete McKay 10, said, after your great work reverse jinxing in Kedia this week, please criticise Havertz so he plays a stormer against Newcastle. I mean, yeah, that's Pete McKay's second question on the show, by the way. What, what a week for Pete McKay. He's absolutely loving life right now. Wow. Um, there was kind of, I did have a Kai Havertz question. I'm doing all your favourite topics, actually. <laughs> uh, Spurs, Kai Havertz. Tash, who's at Gunnergirl25, said, Goodly morning. Another game where Kai didn't really do anything wrong, but didn't make the type of impact that we were all hoping for. This game felt perfect for him, but again, Felt he was just an extra body and nothing more. Is it time to accept he just doesn't fit? What did you What did you make of Kai at the weekend? I think that's a really good description of his performance. He didn't do anything wrong, but nor did he contribute in the way that you would have wanted from an a, an offensive point of view. Like as much as I was hoping Eddie would would get a goal, 
I was also hoping for a Havertz goal or a contribution or an assist or something like that, you know. Mm. Um, I think it would have been, you know, very useful for him. When the penalty was awarded, I was like, oh, please don't give it to Havertz. <laughs> don't give whatever happens. Don't give him another sympathy penalty. Um, I not- felt exactly the same. There were people around me singing the Kai Havertz song when the penalty was awarded and a few people shouting, give it to Kai, give no, it to Kai. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 sort of, I slightly cringed at that. I was like, we can't, we can't keep doing it. Mm. No, no. <laughs> He's got to stand on his own two feet eventually. Exactly. You know, and I would have, it wasn't, it's not a case that I think like, oh, he wouldn't be uh, up for it. I think he's a good penalty taker. He's taken two penalties for us since he arrived, one in the Community Shield and then one, uh, you know, the one at Bournemouth. But, yeah, I would have liked a bit more from him. If there was, let's say, a disappointment from the game, it's that he couldn't contribute from an uh, attacking uh, perspective. So They switched him to the the right-hand yeah. side of the midfield. I thought that they? was quite interesting, yeah. Um, I think he maybe came on in that role at Stamford Bridge. But, you know, that can help a player. We spoke about Austin Trusty having a bit of a nightmare on the right-hand side. It changes your whole orientation on the pitch and... If that's something he's more accustomed to or more comfortable with, who knows? It could make a difference. Mm. Um, I have to say I'm not seeing it at the moment from Kai Havertz. I, I feel like when a player is in a sticky situation, in a bit of a rut, then and things aren't quite happening for them, you're looking for that bit of... Uh, aggression to kind of make things happen Mm -hmm. and and I at the moment I'm not seeing that from him but it is still early days it is still early days right here is a question from the discord it comes from Henky Ho who says morning guys in this season Arsenal have earned lots of penalties six this season is it earned or are we a bit lucky in that department? Any theories on why we've had so many penalties? I think Mikel Arteta kind of answered this uh, a couple of weeks ago. I, I was in a press conference, I think it was before the Chelsea game, it would have been. Mm-hmm. And there was a question about um, the team's attacking output, you know, mm. and because I, I think chances create from open play are down substantially from last season, or certainly were prior to the Sheffield United game. Who knows now? Mm. Um, And he gave quite a good answer that I'm going to see if I can find (laughs) because he he sort of said, look, it's... Here we go. What he said is, uh, teams are defending a lot with really low blocks. So open one... Open play is one thing, but set pieces are not something very different to the game. It's something that's connected, so it's as important. Because against low block, we're going to generate more free kicks and more corners than we did last year, so that's going to have an impact. Mm. Now, he didn't say penalties, but presumably if Arsenal are having big territorial advantage against uh, teams who are sitting very deep, they are effectively going to force more penalties than sure. they otherwise would. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense, you know. Um, and we have players who are, you know, pretty sharp with their movement in the penalty box. You know, you've got to be so precise as a defender when you've got 
little speedy guys running beyond you. I think Eddie yeah. won a penalty, didn't he, in one of the games? I can't remember. Was it the United game? I can't remember. But Eddie got one. Vieira got one. Um, Vieira got one against, was it against Fulham? Vieira won the penalty. Oh, yes, that's right. And he won and the he penalty, won penalty, penalty the weekend as well. The weekend as well. So I, I, I think there's something about that. And obviously when you play in those areas of the pitch a bit more, you're just more likely to get free kicks and, and penalties. The dominance that you have in terms of territory translates into, into those opportunities. So, Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, that's without mentioning the likes of Saka, Martinelli, Jesus, who are mm-hmm. all just such a handful with their ball. The ball at their feet the in the box. Their ball. Um, what about this from Fletch Chats, who said, Morning, gents. Question for Andrew. Do you have any takeaways from the game that you think you may have missed or not noticed had you only watched it on TV instead of being in the ground? Hmm. Well, I don't know because I didn't watch it on TV. So I don't know yeah, what I didn't point. see or fair what I point. wouldn't have seen. Um. I think maybe your point about Kivio and being quite an intelligent defender, I'm not sure he would have got a ton of screen time. Um, no, probably not. Probably not. Yeah, and it, you know, it is one of those things that you can do when you're in the ground is obviously keep a bit of focus on one specific player. Um, you know, and as a, a grizzled old centre half, I always like watching defenders and seeing what they're about. So I was impressed with him and I was impressed with, you know, the way he dovetailed with Saliba. I mean, that other observation I made from the first half where the guy just looked at Saliba and just didn't bother. You know, you wouldn't have seen that maybe in the uh, on the yeah. TV footage. And, you know, that's very informative and, and funny. Uh, just tells you how imposing and how impressive Saliba is. But also Declan Rice, I think, as well. You know, just seeing him stride around. He makes up ground so quickly. You know, there was one occasion where maybe it was in the first half we lost the ball and then all of a sudden he just was there. Himself and Saliba double teamed some poor Sheffield United guy who didn't know what fucking hit him, you know? That's not fair. That was um that was impressive work. So yeah, that's uh that's sort of my takeaway from that. Here's one from Cartoon Steve Bold, who says uh, goodly bloody morning. Uh, Saturday was a victory for squad depth and Arteta's increased trust in the group. In that light, and in terms of fulfilling the roles the manager has given them, who are your top five players of the season at the quarter mark? Wow. Top five players of the season for Arsenal, presumably, yeah. Yes, I assume Um, so. Saliba would be in there. Mm -hmm. Do I have to put them in an order? No, I think you can just sort of pick five. I think I'd go Saliba, Rice. I'd have to go Saka, based on his productivity. Saliba, Rice, Saka. Um, I mean, there. I've, I've written down. Um, I've written down my five, and those three are there. Who are your other two then? Well, my other two are Ben White. Of course, should have known. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> but I, 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 I do that um, not just because I love him so much, but because I also think he's been really, really good. Yeah. And my other one is uh, Gabriel Martinelli, who I just think is somebody who impacts games, uh, even if maybe the the end product or the output uh, isn't quite as much as, as Saka's. I just think... Um, he's the kind of player who, 
gives defenders nightmares, you know? So that was my... Yeah, I don't think I was going to argue with those. I, 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 for the sake of difference, will stick with those initial three. So Saliba, Rice, Saka. I'll, I'll give a shout out to Gabriel, um, mm-hmm. who I think since he has been brought into the team has been brilliant. Um, I made a mockery of his omission, really, in, in those first couple of games. <laughs> and... I mean, we're in danger of just listing the whole team here. But I will say Gabriel Jesus only because I know he's missed a lot of games, but he has scored in every Mm. Champions League group game. Uh, And I think his contribution there is pretty hefty. You know, Uh, although we lost in France, it's going to take us a big way towards qualification. I think when he's been on the pitch, he's been really good. Um, The problem's been having him on the pitch. But the fact that we can name you know, seven players pretty comfortably sure. between us. Just you things aren't going too badly. What about this one then from Puerto Rican Gunner? Who says, good morning, gents. Do you think that Tommy Asu should be next in line for a contract extension? Apart from his first Arsenal goal, he's been dishing out top performances every time he plays and his versatility has proved to be crucial. Yeah, I don't think you should be far off. Um... I think Ben White is sort of widely believed to be the next in line Mm. um, and understandably given his contribution. But it's it's funny to think not long ago, Tommy Asu's future was sort of the subject of some debate. You know, he'd had big injuries and there was some interest from Serie A and Arsenal had signed Jurian Timber and you, you began to wonder, well, where exactly does he fit? I think he's definitely a player you want to keep under contract. Um, I think he's he's doing really well at the moment. I think, you know, I'm sure there'll be people listening who might have had him in their five in terms mm. of what he's done in this early period of the season and, and the impression he's made when he's been on the pitch. Um, a goal scorer as well now. So, <laughs> yeah, I think you definitely want to tie him down. He's a really good age. He's a really good squad member. Uh, even if to protect his value, you'd want to tie him down. But I think he's someone who can make a big contribution going forward and he's getting back to the Tommy Asu we saw in his first season. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, I love him. I'd love to uh, I'd love to see us give him uh, a new deal or give yeah. uh, Did I say that right? Yeah, you did. I did. Wow. It went just when it sort of resonated in my head there. I didn't think I'd use the right words in the right order, but there you go. That's a weekend away in London for you. But yeah, I he is um he's just a very very impressive player and obviously a very popular player as well. Saka was speaking about him afterwards. I think Arteta spoke about him afterwards as well and, and spoke about what a, a popular guy he is in the group and, you know, the quality he has to be able to play in every position across the back line is is, is incredible. So um, you, you don't get too many players who can do what he does to the level that he can do it, you know? There are players who are versatile, but there are players who are, you know, absolutely specialists in their position. Like, you don't, and wouldn't play William Saliba as a fullback, for example. Yeah, you just you just don't. But you wouldn't um, because I'm not sure that that would suit him. Whereas Tommy Asu slot him in anywhere across the back line. He looks super comfortable, and um, you know I think a, an overlooked part perhaps as well is is just the the physicality he has as well. You know yeah. he's very very strong. He's tall. He's you know gives us presence at the back as well. And um, you know I think. 
the the way things trend in football sometimes is, is quite interesting. You know, the idea that you would have or feel comfortable with two central defenders at fullback going into a game like Newcastle, for example. I know Ben White has established himself as a as a fullback since he moved out there, but arrived as a centre half and was very good as a centre half. But the way the game has gone is you could have White and Tommy Asu on either side of Gabriel and um, William Saliba going into the Newcastle game and everybody's okay with that. Do you remember when Vermaelen had to play at left back for a bit and he hated it? Mm. Like clearly hated it, and you know, uh, yeah. And he was the kind of guy I think that should have been, you know, had the physical profile to play as a as a left back back then, if that makes sense. Like he wasn't a giant centre half. Like you would never put Mertesacker at, at fullback, right? Whereas Vermalen as a centre half who could play on the outside was, you know, that kind of physical profile. But he just True. he just hated it. Whereas Tommy Asu doesn't matter where you put him. He he's just a fucking great defender. So. Yeah, and faultless attitude as mm. well. You know, I think that's part of that. Um, so yeah, hopefully, new crush up be great. Um, okay, Dan Patchett, D Patch Cornwall says, "Morning, gents." And Ketia and Jesus scored twenty goals between them in all competitions last season. How many can we expect them to score this season? Oh, another one of those questions where we're asked to predict something and then we get it completely wrong and yet people still ask us to predict things. (laughs) Um, Well, how many have they got? They've got, Eddie's got five, I think. Um, Yes, five this season and Gabriel Jesus has got, is is it just the two in the Champions League? No, maybe he's got five as well. Has he? Is that right? Well, have a look. Two in, oh no, no, he scored one in Spain, didn't he? But he scored, he scored one in every Champions League game. So PSV, Lens and Seville, that's three. He scored against Man United. Yes, so he's got four goals. So they have right. nine goals at this point. Halfway there, boys. Living on a prayer. Um, um, I mean, I'm, I think... I'm going to say 27 Yeah, between them. Is that good? I mean, you know what I mean? You say 27 between two players, two strikers, and you're like, eh, yeah. you know. Only Harlan's going to get that against Sheffield get that. United, <laughs> I imagine. I think... Uh, Should it be we, more? Yeah, I mean, my instinct is to say we we need that number to be 30, really, between them. At least. Because, you know, neither of them is a 30-goal striker on their own, but between them, that that should be attainable. On the other side of the coin, I do see that we're not really that sort of team. You know, we're a team who do spread the goals around um, and we could probably have a very good season without them quite reaching that number. So I'd like it to be 30 between mm. them. That would be great. If we do that, we'll be in good shape, I think. Mm. My suspicion is it might end up being something between 20 and 30, a bit more like what you said. 27. Exactly 27, yeah. Exactly 27. Yeah, I'd like more. I was just, when I said it out loud, it was like, hmm, that doesn't seem like a lot, but, you know, they're I mean, sharing game time. Yeah. At the moment. So that's a problem. Uh, I, I think, you know, what I would be more happy to see, uh, that's maybe not the right thing, but I would like maybe a little more consistency to, to Eddie's 
goal-scoring contributions, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, Jesus can be a bit of a streaky goal scorer, but then go on, uh, you know, little periods where he doesn't necessarily find the net. And I think in those periods, you're looking for Eddie maybe to take up some of that slack, particularly off the bench, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So let's see. Hopefully we're both way wrong and they, you know, rock in the goals. Yeah. Um, is it my question? It is. Okay, here is one. Oh, I like this from Orti Parisi, who's at Orti underscore Parisi on uh, Twitter. He said, there was a period of the game after Martinelli came off where we had a severe lack of Gabbies on the pitch. Is this a problem we should address in January? I think it might need to be, mm. you know. Uh, it's it's a Gabriel crisis at <laughs> Arsenal right now. Um, no, I think, listen, we, we're okay. Martinelli's fit. Gabriel Magalhaes is fit. Um, we can we can get the Gabbies, some mm. Gabbies on the pitch. But yeah, it, it was unsettling, wasn't it, to be yeah. without a single Gabby? Completely Gabbyless. Uh, yeah. Not good. Um, Mark Morrow, who's at Monty Mark, says, last season we scored a lot of goals in the first 20 minutes of Premier League matches. This season we've only scored one in the first 20 minutes of a match. Saka's 17th minute strike versus Bournemouth. Why do you think that is? Don't know. I think my best guess would be not only did we could score a lot of goals in the first 20 minutes of Premier League matches last season, but it felt like there were quite a lot of occasions where we would concede, sometimes in the first 30 seconds. Yes, that um, wasn't good. <laughs> so I do wonder if there's a maybe, sort of following the theme of this season really, a bit more of a controlled approach rather than going hell for leather and taking risks that can leave you with a mountain to climb in mm. that opening period. Just being a little bit more composed and patient, I think is maybe more kind of the character of this iteration of the team. Yeah, maybe so. And the fact that you are playing teams who are sitting deeper and, you know, more aware perhaps of the, um, you know, the threats that you pose. So Yes, that's true. People may just be wise to it. Mm. Um, uh, what about this? Alfie Parsons says, was getting Aaron Ramsdale to sign a new deal, probably knowing that we were going to replace him, a really excellent but ruthless move? Surely his transfer market value is about three times higher now than if we hadn't. I mean, that's that's true, you know, because he does have a long contract and, you know, inevitably, you know, if he's not playing, he's going to want to move, right? Simple as that. He's too good to be sitting on the bench all the time. So, you know, unless he is brought back into the fold and gets some regular consistent football, chances are he's going to want to go and uh, Arsenal will will have to sell. But, you know, being able to do that with a long contract is good. I, I suspect that it wasn't sort of the machinations of Dr. Ruthless um, in the manager's seat, you know. I think it was just a case that they wanted to keep Aaron Ramsdale and reward his performances and maybe give him, you know, boosting confidence. And then, as I think you alluded to previously, the Raya thing was not something they expected to be able to do because he was being linked with so many other clubs in the summer, wasn't he? Like Chelsea, like Tottenham, and Mm -hmm. nothing came to fruition. And then the opportunity arose and they went for it. So I think it is... You know, if it turns out that Ramsdale is sold, it'll be beneficial to Arsenal from a financial perspective, but I don't think it's something that they 
did deliberately, if that makes sense, to 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 make sure that when they did sell him, um, you know, knowing that they were going to bring in Ramsdale. That's what I mean. I agree. I, I don't think it was part of some master plan. I think when Arsenal gave Aaron Ramsdale that contract, they envisaged he would be their number one this season. Um, I think the Raya signing was more opportunistic. Um, and I would venture that Arsenal were probably paying Aaron Ramsdale more right now than they're paying David Raya. Mm. Um, and certainly more than you would want to be play, paying a number two goalkeeper if you were sort of, you know, designing your squad from scratch. So I don't think they've got to this place necessarily on purpose. Um, but the fact he is under long-term contract, I guess, is of benefit to Arsenal as regards the transfer market if he does eventually go. Um, equally, he's now on a very healthy salary that someone's got to be prepared to match. So there's kind of give and take with mm. him, I think. Um. Shiny on the Discord said, "Goodly morning. Should Art uh, Arteta be added to the Ars blog player ratings? No, he's a manager, not a player, and they are player ratings by their very definition." Um, Arctic Guilo on the Discord as well says, "Goodly morning. Am I the only one getting worried about the frequency of bad tackles against our players that are not given as red cards? It feels like we are leading and escalating to more crazy tackles coming up. Is there a Diaby Eduardo Ramsey injury moment coming up?" Gosh, I really hope not. I really hope not. That would be... Yeah, that would be awful. But I mean, obviously. But what about the, the sort of frequency with which some of these tackles are happening, which is something I I would share that concern a little bit. Mm. Was there one on the, the weekend? Is that, I is thought it... the one where the guy went through the back of Martinelli in the first half. Oh, yes. Made, not a red card, but I don't think... Well, very obviously, he can't do it again in the second half, if he's already on a yellow card from the first uh, challenge. And I think, you know, you don't want to see players getting booked for absolutely nothing, but players get booked for absolutely nothing every fucking weekend. And tackles like that, even with the let it flow and all that bullshit, you know, are dangerous. And it doesn't matter if it's in the opening stages of a game. It doesn't matter if it's your first tackle. A yellow card is a yellow card. And I think... You know that does embolden players to, uh, you know, to to kick um, and to go in uh, hard on on other players, and it could lead to injury. Obviously, I hope it doesn't, but I do think that tackle at the weekend was definite yellow card, and the ref just didn't bother. Yeah, I, I do share some of those fears, you know, particularly about our young wingers, you know, Martinelli and Saka, whose style of play uh, puts them. Mm some risk should we say or makes them vulnerable to those sorts of challenges uh that's not to put any blame on them but it's just it is a fact of being a winger you know we've seen that for years um with many many players uh in different arsenal teams i do worry about it um but yeah i i i think other than refs you know, properly booking players in situations like the one you've just outlined mm. i think it is also kind of an occupational risk for those guys as well and something they uh, have to learn to live with and and are living learning to live with i mean they are both really robust touch wood um and yeah fingers crossed that continues all right a couple of quick ones to finish uh per arsenalson this is directed to you i think 
Okay. He says, goodly morning, boys. So if let's do this is to be used before a game, what do we say afterwards when we did do this? Yeah, I guess it's something like, let's do this. We did this or something something like that. <laughs> we did this, but I need, to, I need to sit down with the patent office and, you know, copyright yeah. lawyers and see what's achievable. Someone may have already trademarked that. You know, there's the smart people out there. They'll have seen the opportunity and mm. pounced on it. I mean, yeah, you're going to have to get on top of this, you know, as the craze sweeps the nation, you know, much like the Marvel universe, you're going to have to just, you know, uh, look after every iteration of the do this universe. When, when, you, when you have such valuable IP you know, yeah. in your domain, you have to be proactive and litigious to protect it. And I intend to be. Don't you worry about that. Yeah. Final one from Gagan J on Twitter. He says, after Fabio Vieira's bump celebration, what other mundane life events would you like to see mimicked using the football during a celebration? <laughs> um, I, uh, the, the one that sprung to mind was um, the relief experienced after a bout of constipation. <laughs> that, that, that seems to me to be a very sort of mimeable celebration involving football. Yeah, yeah. A passing of a kidney stone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm trying I mean, to think even, what else even without, itself to. Even without a football, what, you know, um, if they could just do anything on the pitch. Like, you know, you buy, celebrate the uh, purchase of a new toaster by just popping up after four minutes of uh, squatting down. Yeah, I'm quite surprised we haven't seen, like, someone turning a key in an imaginary door to, to mark the purchase of their new home. <laughs> uh, footballers, you know, they do enjoy this stuff. So um, I, I, let's see what they've got planned. Let's see what they've got planned. I did like, there were, there were nice celebrations um, in general at the weekend. Obviously, Fabio, have, that, have, is he, have they had a baby or a baby I on the way? I'm not sure. I, I think I saw someone say that they had the baby. Right. I right. think. Congratulations. Congratulations but, to them. Um, I I also liked Bukayo Saka sort of presenting the match ball to mm. Eddie Nketiah. Yeah, that was good, actually, yeah. In ceremonial fashion. I did cringe a little bit when he kissed the ball, though. <laughs> I was like, that's not that healthy. Yeah, you know, sure. You think it's about hygienic. Think about all the kind of snot rockets and guzzies sure. that were on that pitch and the balls rolling through and the mud and, you know. I was, uh, when, when Eddie scores against West Ham, I want to see him produce a, to a toothbrushing and mouthwash celebration <laughs> yeah. to clear his mouth from the bacteria he brought upon it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not going to play against West Ham now because he's probably got botulism or something. So That's true. Yeah. All right. We had better leave it there. Um so thank you very much indeed, as always. For we'll leave you with, with botulism, as always. <laughs> as we do, we yeah. try and bring you a variety Enjoy of Enjoy your elements botulism, your guys. <laughs> we better be off. We'll have an episode of The 30 for you a little bit later on this afternoon over on Patreon, looking back at all the weekend's Premier League action. So please do join us for that, patreon.com forward slash arseblog. For now, take it easy, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. 
all backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.